Well, good morning. My name is Derek, one of the pastors here. Glad to see you. Uh, now, last week we talked a little bit as we started out uh, about parenting uh, and warning our children, right? Uh, leading them in, in God's way and all that. Well, again, as parents, we want to warn the kids. And sometimes you have to make a choice, you know, of am I going to really push this thing or let them learn on their own, right? The kid goes out riding bike barefoot. This happened this summer. Like, hey, if you ride the bike barefoot, you're going to hurt your feet. So he goes in, put shoes on. Next day, he's riding the bike barefoot. I'm not telling him again, right? Then he comes in. Ow, I hurt my foot. Told you, <laughs> right? So there's some lessons we need to learn. We uh, went camping. And one of the fun things that we do is carving with sticks, right? We get the knives and just carving sticks. And at one point, I think we had five or six teenagers carving and a couple little boys carving. And of course, I'm watching the boys because they're carving and then they turn and cut, whoa, time out, whoa. <laughs> Never cut toward yourself, you know, or they start to cut and it's on their leg. Like, whoa, uh, move it. You're going to cut your leg open. And everybody did pretty good except for Kayla, who we should have watched a little bit closer because <laughs> I'm watching them. Oh, oh, ow, what? <sighs> cut her hand again, right. Cutting toward, no, don't do that. Okay, I'm watching them. Ow, again, like I think five times she cuts herself, right? Not a big deal, little cuts. But there are other things in life, right, that can be really damaging. So sometimes we'll just let that go. Others, we're really adamant as parents, no, avoid this altogether. This could ruin your life. Beware, be careful. And one of those things that we've talked about with parents, with our kids, is worldview. You know, and as we would send them to school, one of the things we warned them on early on is when you go to school, they're going to teach you that we came from monkeys. But they're going to teach you evolution, and it's like, this is it. That's not true. Your teachers aren't bad. This is what they think is true, but it's a lie. And so we would read books and prepare them to go to school, and then they would come home, you know, in first and second grade. Yeah, they told us that, you know, whales came out of the sea and whatever, and like, that's not true, and, you know, because they were prepared and learning. Well, today, we're going to be in First John, and we're going to see more of these warnings. So turn to First John, if you would. We're going to be in chapter 2. Um, if you don't have a Bible, there's one in the seat in front of you. And I forget the page number, 1,122. Does that sound right? Mm. We've been on the same page for a few weeks. So um, 1,122 in the Bible uh, in front of you. Of course, open your phone app. That's fine, too. But we're going to see more warnings. Last week, John gave some warnings to his readers who he's writing to believers. And his warnings were, the world is dangerous. Watch out. And he was talking about the lust, the desires of the world, right? The desires of the, the flesh, of the eyes, and the pride of life. He's like, these will lead you astray. Be aware. Today, he's going to talk more about warnings against lies, warnings against things that are going to be untrue. They're going to sneak in. And these are very, very important for us to understand. And so let's begin real quick. 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. John says, children, by the way, that's all of us. <laughs> when he says children, it's not just the kids. Right? He's, he's speaking as a, as a spiritual father, right? Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. Ooh, interesting. Last hour, right? He really gets our attention here. Children. It's the last hour. And then he talks about Antichrist. And that's the uh, title of the sermon, if you look. It's Beware of Antichrist. Now, you notice the title isn't Beware of the Antichrist. It's Beware of Antichrist. If, if you are familiar at all with uh, apocalyptic movies or, or the book of Revelation or end times, 
a lot of it is wrapped up with the Antichrist, right? This person who is going to come and be possessed by the devil and do all these horrible things. Uh, and every generation pretty much seems to go, right, who's the Antichrist? Ooh, it's Putin. Um, ooh, it's Donald Trump. I mean, you'll hear these things all the time. Like, who is this Antichrist? Well, here, this catches our attention a little bit, right? It's the last hour, Antichrist. But he's not referring to just this one person. But let's look first at this idea of the last hour. Because that's how he's saying it first. And his intention is, children, beware, right? He's given us a sense of urgency. It is the last hour. What does he mean by the last hour? Because this was written almost 2,000 years ago, right? This idea of, of the last hour truly is end times. So if you're one of those, you like to read those things or think about that, he's saying end times. And just a, a quick, you know, glimpse of history God created we don't know when exactly. We can argue about it, 6,000, 10,000, 50,000. We don't know exactly, um, but God created. We can start measuring time around the time of Abraham, which was probably 2000 BC. God did something unique there. Um, by the way, we know God created. We know he didn't do it through evolution. So you know, people who claim the world, earth has to be billions of years, if it's because of evolution, and we know that's false. Um, but what we do know is God created, and then we can start measuring time around Abraham, 2000 BC. God called Abraham, called him to be, to follow him, right? And he was gonna make him a great nation. Those are the Jews, the Hebrews, the Israelites. A little while later, Moses comes along, right? He calls Moses, this prophet, to lead his people out of Egypt. There's millions of them. You probably know the story. And he gives them a new law. He gives them this covenant of law, these rules to obey. He sets up a standard. And so during that period of time, God's people were his representatives on earth. They were the Jews. They had a temple eventually in Jerusalem. There was a, a period of time God was working out his plan through Israel. Then Jesus came along. Jesus, and we're going to see more about kind of some of that. But Jesus comes and something changed. No longer were the Jews God's chosen people alone. Now it would spread to anybody who would have faith in Jesus. And so Jesus' first coming, his death, his resurrection, till his second coming. So Bible's clear, he's coming again. That period of time is the last hour. Before Jesus, not the last hour. After Jesus, till his second, the last hour. And scripture's very clear. Jesus could return at any moment. We, we don't know when he's coming any moment, and we are living in the last hour, the end times. He could come back. These are the last days, meaning history is moving toward its conclusion. Nothing else has to happen for salvation purposes. Jesus died. Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus ascended, and we're going to see he did something else after that, which is cool. Um, but that's it. We don't need anything more, meaning the end is really, really close, and that's the warning. During these last days, watch out for Antichrist. So this is in your notes. In these last days, watch out for Antichrist. Be urgent. Who is the Antichrist? Well, he says, beware of Antichrist. He's coming, and many have come. Uh, as you look through Scripture, it, it looks likely there will be an Antichrist near the end, this, this person. But also, there's, there's kind of always Antichrist. Uh, and what is an Antichrist? It is Antichrist. <laughs> I mean, it's that simple. It's somebody opposed to Jesus, and it takes two forms, it looks like, as you look through Scripture. The, an, an antichrist is somebody against Jesus, right? Uh, we're coming against, opposing, or somebody putting themselves in the place of Jesus. 
a false Messiah. Like, I, I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. You need me. That is also the Antichrist and Antichrist, right? So he's saying beware of Antichrist. And again, here's in your notes if you're a note taker. An Antichrist is a person who opposes Christ or falsely puts themselves in the place of Christ, now, here's where we start to get different this week from last week. Last week, warning, the world is dangerous. This week, warning, where do these antichrists typically come from? Verse 19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would, not, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might be complained that they all were not of us. They came from within the church. Now, real quick, put, let's put a pin right there. We're going to come back to this idea. Sermon within a sermon. This verse right here makes pretty clear about those who leave the fellowship. So can somebody be saved, be part of the church, and then leave and lose that salvation? Scripture makes it pretty clear, no, right? Because we don't do anything to earn our salvation. It's a free gift. And, and God's not an Indian giver right? And that's not racist, that's just a term, right? He, he doesn't give and take it back, right? He gives and he's in control of it. So when he gives salvation, it's done. So the person who leaves is the person who never was really saved to begin with, right? Now, can, can a person wander and still be saved? Absolutely, right? Absolutely. Somebody can wander, but God's going to love them, discipline them, try and bring them back. But the point here is that evidence of true salvation is that an individual perseveres in the truth, in the truth, that's written wrong, in the true faith, <laughs> and if they abandon the true faith, it is proof they were never really in God's family. Because once you're in, you're adopted, you're, I mean, we see all these great truths, you're in. Okay, that sermon's done, back to the main sermon, right? Who is he really talking about here, though? These are people from within the church who have left but they haven't gone far enough away, <laughs> right? They've gone, and they're trying to deceive. Uh, we're going to skip some a little bit. Look at verse 26. Look at verse 26, still chapter 2. He says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. All right, now we'll come back. But there's a little glimpse. This is why he's writing this. These antichrists, these people, they were part of the church. They've left, but they won't shut up. They are trying to take you with them. Big warning, right? Big warning. They want to lead you astray. Don't go. Don't listen. Be warned. Here's the great warning. I mean, and as a father to my kids, here's a great warning. People from within the church will try to lie to you. Darn it. <laughs> People who sound Christian will try to lie to you, and they will try to lead you astray. It's, it's so subtle, it's so, it sounds close, but they will try to draw you astray. And this is not like a little, I nicked my finger with a knife. This can be eternal. Uh, this can be your, your soul forever. This is a big deal. This is one of those, I'm going to warn, right? I'm going to be on them like this. Nope, don't believe that, <laughs> right? I mean, with parents, we want to help our kids learn how to think, not just tell them what to think, um, parenting skill right there. But some of this, right, oh, I'm not going to let them pursue certain ideas too far. <laughs> I'm going to intervene. I'm going to read with them, whatever it is, to teach. But here's a big warning. Uh, in Matthew 7, 15, Jesus warns his followers. He says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. 
Jesus warned, beware of false prophets. A false prophet looks good. Here's the big warning. You are responsible for what you learn. You are responsible for who you listen to. I am responsible for what I say. You're responsible if you believe it, right? Meaning you need to check. Do not just believe anything you hear from somebody who sounds like they know something. Even within the church, scripture is the priority. You look back in Acts, uh, and Paul was traveling around. He was the first great missionary, and he's traveling. Into, he gets to a city called Berea. Maybe you've heard of Berean churches. They name them after this, these people. They were Bereans, and they heard what was being taught. They're like, ooh, that sounds good. And then they grabbed their Bibles, their Old Testament, and they studied to see if it was true. And they're like, it is true, right? So, so they, they heard it, and then they checked it. That's our job. That is your job. Don't trust somebody else to do that for you. Do the work, right? Don't believe everything you hear because there are false prophets. I was in a church once where there was a woman who was adamant about universalism, meaning everybody's saved. No matter what, everybody goes to heaven. Part of the church and very vocal about this, mainly online, right? You come on Sunday, quiet, wouldn't say a word. Go home, hop online, right? All over, like, sending articles, all these things about universalism, all these scriptures to back it up. She was confronted, right? The leaders of the church confronted, said, here's what the Bible teaches. She ignored that and continued on this very dangerous. And she did lead people astray. It was very, very dangerous. And so there's where a church then has to decide, what do you do with that? If someone is in and intentionally trying to grab people and lead them astray, eventually decisions have to be made. But it's very dangerous. But here's the good news. There's some good news. Look at verse 20. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. This is cool. He says, I'm writing to you not because you don't know, but because you do know. Now, if you have an old King James Version, you're going to read, and it says, you know all things. That's a bad translation. <laughs> this is a good translation, and every other translation has gotten it right, right? Um, King James, just a little history. The original King James was translated from the Latin Vulgate. Um, so a couple translations. Most of our translations today, and I think the New King James is translated straight from the Greek. We have so many ancient manuscripts. The New Testament was written in Greek. So the best is tra translated straight from Greek to whatever language, English. So this is a good translation. You, you don't know all things. Only God knows all things. But you all know. What does he mean? Well, first, it comes down to this idea of being anointed. He said, you have been anointed. Here's, here's the truth. When you, if... If you place your faith in Jesus, the moment where you said, I'm a sinner, I know I'm a sinner, and I recognize God is a perfect God, and there's something wrong with me, right? And, and we can all be humble and realize, there's something wrong with me, and, it, and it's sin. Sin invasive, sin that I do, and I need a Savior. I believe Jesus, the Son of God, came, died on the cross, and rose from the dead. I believe, I repent of my sin. Doesn't mean we become perfect. But I say, I don't want to go this way anymore. I want to go your way. Jesus, be Lord of my life. I'm going to follow you. When we make that commitment and we are saved, we are then anointed. Something very spiritual and mystical happens. But guess what? You probably didn't feel anything, right? There, there are certain groups that are going to say, you're going to feel something. Something's going to happen to you. Most often, no. I, I think sometimes, absolutely. But most often, you don't feel something, but something does happen. You're anointed. You are given 
the Holy Spirit. This is cool. So in the Old Testament, only three people were anointed. And anointed was, was putting oil on somebody, anointing them, meaning you have a unique calling, something's happening, kind of being commissioned, right? The first was a prophet. A prophet would be, could be anointed. All right, we recognize you. You are a prophet of God. You are anointed to speak for God. And a prophet would say, thus saith the Lord. Rarely was it actually a prediction of the future. We think prophets are, look at that. It was mostly, here's a message from God. So they would be anointed. That was the first. The second would be the priests. And in the Old Testament, the priests were an intermediary between the people and, and God. They would bring their sacrifice to the priest. The priest would offer it to God, right, as this, and they would be anointed. You have a very important calling to teach, to, to preach, and to offer these sacrifices, anointed. The third was a king. A king would be, you are anointed to represent God again to serve these people. All right, so these three people are anointed. Now that Jesus has come, we don't have kings like that anymore because Jesus is the perfect king. <laughs> and he is the ultimate king, right? We don't have priests anymore. New Testament is very clear. The priesthood of all believers, meaning we all have direct access to God. We don't need to go to a priest. The Catholics get this part wrong. We don't need to go to somebody and go through them to God. Direct access, right? The prophet, the prophet could hear from God and say, thus saith the Lord. And that's where we get to here. We as Christians are anointed. Jesus is our king, but guess what? You are also a priest, meaning you represent him to the world, and you have the ability to understand. That's what he's saying. Like a prophet who could hear, you now have the ability to know the truth that you couldn't know before and that, that non-believers don't know, that you didn't know before. And you're not special. You know, well, you are special. But it's not because you're smarter. God didn't look at you and go, oh, you're better than these others. I choose you. He, he just chose you. And so then you are anointed. Um, so this is in your notes, that the true believer is anointed by the Holy Spirit and is able to discern between truth and falsehood. Able to discern. Again, we don't know all things, but we're given the Holy Spirit who enables us to discern, enables us to see some truth in this. And in that, the believer has a unique calling and responsibility to steward the truth. In the Old Testament, prophet, priest, king, anointed, they had a responsibility. They were anointed to do something. We are also anointed. We're given this stewardship responsibility of knowing the truth and stewarding the truth, right? Just like in the Old Testament, the Jews, they were God's chosen people, not to just be awesome chosen people. They were chosen to represent him to the world. We're the same. We have a calling, right? To know and discern and to share this truth. Here's a fact, though. Many Christians, many Christians function as relativists. Here's what I mean. Many Christians... I believe in Jesus, all, all these things, but I also believe everybody's going to heaven, right? All roads lead. As long as you are sincere in your faith, that your sincerity is good enough. And many Christians, whether they say it or not, function like they believe this. And you'll hear it with the way they say, talking to somebody, well, I believe this. Rather than stating, well, the Bible says, right? Or God is this. Well, I believe as if, because our culture said, I believe, meaning you can believe whatever you want, which you can, but truth matters. And here's, what, here's the point of this whole thing. There is truth. You can know the truth, and you must steward the truth, but there is truth. You know, this idea of 
of relativism doesn't work anywhere else, and we don't even try to apply it anywhere else, right? The, the man who wakes up in the middle of the night, he, he hears a burglar in the house, and he sincerely believes there's a burglar in the house and his family's in danger, grabs his gun, goes out into the kitchen, shoots the intruder, turns on the light, and it's his daughter. He sincerely believed he was protecting his house. He was sincerely wrong, <laughs> right? And the consequences were devastating. This, these truths are the same way. That's why this warning is so severe. Be warned, there is truth. And here's the good news. You can know the truth. So listen, if you have placed your faith in Jesus as Lord, you have been anointed. If you hear something that doesn't quite jive, you might be right. right? You might be right, meaning check it out. Humbly check it out, pursue, find the truth, look into it. But you might be Right, because here's the thing. There's some things we don't understand, we can't understand until we have the Holy Spirit. In John 16, uh, you don't have to turn there, but I'm just going to read these verses. John 16, verse 12 to 15, Jesus is about to leave, and he's speaking to his disciples, and he says this. He says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but ever, whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. There are some things people cannot understand until the Holy Spirit comes and teaches and enlightens. And so, believer... If you've placed your faith in Jesus as Lord, you have been given the Holy Spirit. This should give you confidence. When you hear things, this should give you confidence that you do have the ability, you have the tools to discern the truth and falsehood. Not the Holy Spirit alone. He will use scripture. And he will use his people. But he will use all of it, right? And so you can discern. So what is this great truth, right? So he's, he's writing, saying, I'm, I'm warning you. That they're going to try and deceive you. What is the great truth and what is the great lie? Verse 22. It says, who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. He's laying out here who Jesus is, right? To have the Father, the one God, right? There is one God. To have the Father, you must accept the Son. Jesus made very clear as you read through the book of John. The book of John was the last gospel written, right? The gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The first three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are called synoptic. They're similar. John is different, and John wrote that one, same author as this letter. John wrote that one for one pretty big, clear purpose, to, to declare Jesus is divine. Jesus is united to the Father. We see in the book of John where Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He says, the Father and I are one. He says, before Abraham was, I am. That's when the Jews tried to kill him, right? I mean, that gives me chills. Jesus stood before these Jewish leaders, said, before Abraham was, like, okay, well, that was a 1,000 years ago. Before Abraham was, I am. Well, that's God's personal name, Yahweh. 
I am. They're like, we know what you're claiming. You're claiming equality with the Father. They picked up the stones to stone him. Jesus and the Father are equal. And by the way, now we're getting the Holy Spirit working in here. This is called the Trinity. And we're going to get more to that, but here's the great truth right here. The great truth that believers know and share is that Jesus is the Messiah. Is that Jesus is the Messiah. What is Messiah? Well, right here he says the Christ. Uh, Did you know Jesus' last name wasn't Christ? Did you know that? If he had a last name, it was probably Carpenter. (laughs) Bear with me. Bear with me. How did we get a lot of our last names? Through professions. Jesus, his dad was a builder, called a carpenter, mostly working with stone and things. So if he had a last name, it was probably carpenter. We don't know him by that anymore. And, but, and that's not the way they did it anyway. It was, you know, son of. Anyway, Christ isn't his last name. Not Jesus Christ. Christ is a title. And Christ is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Messiah. So to understand a little bit of that claim, right, and, and this is big, we think it's just a word. Oh, we just confess Jesus is the Christ. So anybody out there, well, yeah, I believe he's the Christ. Oh, good. There's kind of a lot worked into that idea of Messiah and Christ that is kind of baked into the cake, I, I guess you could say. It's not as simple as just saying, I believe he's the Messiah, the Savior. There's a lot more in that. Um, the Messiah, so again, Old Testament, all through the Old Testament, it talks about the Messiah that's to come. The first time is when Adam and Eve sin, right? Uh, the, the, the devil tempts them, they sin, uh, and the curses are doled out. When God turns to the serpent, who is Satan, he says, later, the seed of the woman, you're gonna bruise his heel and he's gonna crush your head. That was the first prediction of the Messiah to come and that happened on the cross, right? When Jesus died, Satan was behind that and that was kind of like a bruise to his heel. I mean, you think crucifixion is just a bruise, But a head, a kick to the head, that's a killing blow. When Jesus rose from the dead, right, victory was won. That was the crush on his head. So that's the first time you see it. But then you see it again in Deuteronomy 18, 15. Moses, the great prophet, says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is him you shall listen. In Isaiah 53, 5 through 6. This is probably 600 years, 500 years before Jesus came. This great prophet says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is exactly what the Messiah would do, predicted 600 years before. This is exactly what Jesus did, right? He was pierced. When this was written, they didn't know of the crucifixion way to to kill somebody, right? Crucifixion was a Roman thing. That wasn't existed yet, right? But it's predicted here by Isaiah that the Messiah, Messiah would be a sacrifice for our sins. He wouldn't just be a king. He would be the propitiation for our sins. And the Messiah would set up a new covenant. I'm going to read you Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34, if I can find it in my Bible. So here's what the Messiah would do. It says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day that I took them by the hand and brought them out of Egypt. 
my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Under this new covenant... Now we understand in the New Testament, we're given the Holy Spirit so that we don't have to teach each other. Fellow believers don't have to say, hey, you need to know Jesus. You're like, dude, I know Jesus, right? No longer do we have to tell one another, believe in God. We believe in God. We have to tell the non-believer that, but those within the family of God don't need that. We have the Holy Spirit that is teaching us these things. True faith confesses that Jesus is the one and only Messiah sent from God for the forgiveness of our sins and he is the only way to salvation. That's the true faith. That's what the Messiah would do. All the Old Testament points to it. All the New Testament points back to Jesus and encourages us, believe in Jesus as the Messiah. The Antichrist is the one who will come along and say, no, Jesus, he's not divine. No, 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 there's many roads to heaven. No, he's not the only way. He's not the Messiah, the way the Bible would define the Messiah. That is the Antichrist. True faith confesses that Jesus is one with the Father and believes in the Trinity. So we're talking that that we can know. Does that mean we have to agree on everything? No, but we do agree on the basics. We do agree on the fundamentals of who God is, what Jesus did, who Jesus is, those things. We can differ on a lot of other things, right? We can differ, what do the end times look like when he comes? We can disagree about that, whatever. There's other things we we can disagree on. But these basic things we we have to agree on, and this is one of those, God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is not a secondary doctrine. That is central. So anybody, and you see that in these verses we're reading, if you reject the Son, you don't have the Father. You can't can't reject this but have that. You have to accept all three, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Remember John 1.1? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Later in John 1, it says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Later in John 1, 1, John 1 says, we saw, we beheld him. His name's Jesus. Still gives me chills, right? This is our God. This is our Jesus. Now, here's the warning. The warning is that these, these false teachers will come out from within your midst and try and lead you astray as to who Jesus is. But he's saying, hold on, verse 24, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. What he's saying? He's saying you don't need new truth. What we have from the beginning, which is laid out right here in the New Testament, you don't need something new. Something new comes along immediately. No, that disagrees with what we already have. And that's what he's telling them. You got the gospel. It was accurate. Learn how to walk, all these things. But something new is automatically wrong. You don't need new truth. Remain, abide. We're gonna talk more about abiding next week. But this word abide, it means to stay, to live, to remain. He says, remain in the original gospel. Remain in the original gospel. And the true gospel has not changed for 2,000 years. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read the New Testament. It has not changed. If it changes, be warned. Be warned. Historically, there have been a lot of these groups, a lot of these that come from within the church, manipulate and go, they're called cults, right? Ooh, Political correctness, you're going to call it a cult. Uh, be careful. Well, here's what a cult is. 
Look it up in Webster's Dictionary. A cult is an offshoot of true biblical Christianity that is heretical, meaning it takes the fundamentals, the basics that cannot change, and they change those. That is a cult. Sometimes they succeed, sometimes they don't. But here's a couple. Mormonism, right? The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is a cult. Jehovah's Witness is a cult. Christian science is a cult. They reject Jesus' unique divinity and sonship with the Father. They reject that in different ways, but they reject that Jesus is this Messiah the way Scripture lays him out to be. Those are a little bit easier. You hear those, and I've had great Mormon friends, right? And this isn't like, put them, let's be friends. I've had great Mormon friends and had these talks, and they'll say things, and I'm like, what? And I think it's the Holy Spirit, and like, I just see, uh, that's not even logical. Like, I see this truth, and we talk, though, gently, and it comes down to, yeah, well, I have a burning in my bosom that it's true. I'm like, but the Bible says, and yeah, but I just feel, right? And so we can have a relationship. Again, this isn't an us versus them. They're victims of the enemy. But these are cults. But a lot of that, what they share, what they say, it's like, oh, that's so obviously wrong. Can I give you another warning, though, that's even more dangerous? And I'm going to get even more politically incorrect. Is a lot of these now are within churches. Traditional, great Churches, historical denominations that taught the truth and taught the gospel have changed, and you won't even know it by looking from the outside. All right? Methodists, Presbyterians, Anglican. We can go down the list of all these historically great denominations, and they have wandered. Let me make something clear first. Not all of them. In fact, if you even read the news about this stuff, there's a lot of churches breaking from their denomination. Um, the Presbyterian church here in town, they broke from the denomination over biblical truth. They said the Presbyterian denomination is going this way, they're abandoning. They said no, and it's, I think they spent millions to buy their property and all that, the oldest church in Nevada. Um, so they did it well, right? And so that's one that I would say, that's a great church. You can be part of that church. But you can't just assume, because it has the name Methodist or Presbyterian or Baptist in it, you can't just assume that they're gonna teach the truth. This is kind of scary, to be honest. Uh, Presbyterian Church USA, a few years ago, um, they wanted to change. Maybe you've heard, remember the song, In Christ Alone? In Christ alone, my hope is found. Yeah, thanks, Paul. Um, there's a line in that song. It says, till on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied, right? They wanted to change it. Can I join the worship team? Okay. They wanted to change that. The writer of that hymn was you know, still owned the rights. So they had to go, and they wanted to change that line too, till on that cross, as Jesus died, the love of God was magnified. The writer said no, because it's truth that when Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. They took that out of their hymnal. Because the, what they were saying is, we cannot claim that the wrath of God was satisfied in Jesus, because that would mean we needed a savior. That would mean, apart from Jesus, we're sinners totally lost. They said, we can't teach that. We don't believe that people are sinners bound for hell apart from God. We don't believe that, that sin is an eternal offense against God who must judge it. His wrath must be poured out on that. And because he loves us, he poured out that wrath on Jesus. That's the greatest truth of the gospel. They wanted to remove it. So he, here's the big warning. Be careful. <laughs> be careful who you listen to. Check, because it could sound good. And then all of a sudden, you're like, did I just hear what I, everything else is sounding good, but I just heard something, right? 
that all are going to heaven or whatever it is denying the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus. This is the warning. But again, we get encouragement. Verse 26. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it is taught in you, abide in him. He isn't saying we don't need teaching. I mean, that's partly what we do right now in doing this. And John, as he's writing this, is teaching. What he's saying is you don't need new teaching. This goes along with verse 24, right? Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you, right? We want to keep learning, but we don't need anything new. The basic gospel is true. Jesus is the Messiah. And that's really good news. We don't need to go look for something that we're missing. It's right here. We need to learn how to abide, <laughs> right? He keeps saying abide over and over and over. And you want to get more into that, next week's going to be awesome. Um, but here it is. It's about abiding. The person abiding in Christ does not need any new instruction that diverges from the original gospel. So it comes down to this. What's the main thrust of this whole thing? Abide. Remain in Jesus. Remain in his truth. You have the Holy Spirit, so be encouraged. If you hear something and you're like, I don't know about that, humbly pursue the truth, right? Don't use it as an excuse to go your own way to sin, whatever, but pursue the truth because you, if you are saved, you have the Holy Spirit, right? Meaning you have a unique ability to understand the truth because God loves you and he doesn't want you to be going astray. He's gonna help you know the truth using his word, using his people, and often just his spirit in you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, um, I thank you. God, I thank you that the gospel hasn't changed. I thank you that there's not something we're missing. Um, Jesus, I thank you that it's not works-based, um, that there's nothing I can do to, to earn salvation, because if so, then there'd be something I could do to lose it, and I would have already done that a lot. Um, so God, I just thank you that we can be content and secure in you. God, I pray for every heart, every soul in this room, God, that if we belong in, to you, that we would, we would be encouraged right now that we can discern truth, but also we would be encouraged that we have the responsibility uh, to, to steward that truth, meaning to make sure we're in line with truth and make sure we're sharing that truth whenever we can because it's that truth that brings life to the lost. It brings new life to the sinner, forgiveness, eternal life, God, hope for the future. So God, I pray that we would be good stewards of this truth God, if there's anybody in this room right here, right now, that does not have your anointing, God, that they don't, they haven't committed to you, I, I ask right now that they would, Holy Spirit, you would give them a feeling and not one of condemnation, um, not one of less, but God, you would, you would stir their heart that you are true. Because God, we know that's part of salvation. Holy Spirit, you doing a work. I ask that you would do that work right now. Twist their heart just a little bit to say, hey, what you just heard is true. Jesus died for you. Jesus is the only way to salvation. God loves you. The wrath of God was satisfied in Jesus, and so you don't have to be punished for your sins if you accept him as Lord today. God, we love you. We trust you in your name. Amen.